please turn in your Bibles with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I just want to um, welcome back Rod and Joette. It is so good to see your faces back with us. For those of you who don't know them, they are really our only snowbirds, I guess, uh, from Nebraska, and they have just arrived this week, so we're hoping they'll be back here with us for another six, seven, eight months, something like that. <laughs> we come this morning to, um, again to the Beatitudes. We have been in the Beatitudes for a while, uh, taking them one at a time uh, because I think they, they need to be taken one at a time for one reason and for another reason we only get one shot at this so we're going to take full advantage of the time that we have in the Beatitudes. But each one of the Beatitudes we need to understand as part of a whole. And today we come to the last of the Beatitudes, uh, but before we dive into uh, to that Beatitude, let's just um, kind of take a step back and see the complete uh, message of the Beatitudes. We have, we have described them um, as describing those who are in the kingdom. In verse 3 and verse 10, the first Beatitude and the, the last Beatitude, the promise is that for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it is a description of uh, the character traits of a Christ follower, of a, of a true believer, a picture of Christ's disciples. We've spoken of the Beatitudes as a, as a chain, a golden chain of, of the Christian life, but they are also a, a cycle. They are also cyclical uh, in their purpose. And we can connect the last beatitude, the link of that last chain to the, to the beginning link and have a beautiful necklace of the Christian life. Their chain in that one link leads to the next. And when you come to know Christ, you come to Christ poor in spirit, bankrupt. That word actually means bankrupt. It's not that you have enough to pay your bill to God this month, uh, but it's that you have no opportunity at all to pay God anything for what he has done for you. And so we come to God when the Spirit moves in our, moves in our life and brings us to, to faith, we come to God bankrupt in spirit. We, we sing the hymn, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. And when we understand that, it leads to a, a mourning over our sin when we stand before a holy God who, who forgives us and we see our sin. We mourn over that sin and that mourning brings us to repentance. And how can we do anything other than bow then in meekness to that God and live in meekness before others because of what God has done for us. It leads us to being merciful. Because God has shown us mercy, we now show each other mercy in our relationships and, and forgiveness of each other in those relationships. And when we understand all of that, it leads us to being single-minded, focused, like a racehorse with blinders on us to be pure in heart, meaning willing one thing, and that is Christ, the purpose of God, the, that the will of God may be done in, on earth as it is in heaven and earth. And that becomes our purpose in life 
whether we're in a job or whether we're in school, everything that we do is single-mindedly focused on Christ with no idols. Having experienced that, that the God of peace brings the Prince of Peace to the, to the world to preach the gospel of peace and dying on the cross brings peace between us and God, we then become peacemakers. And we want others to understand that peace, and we want peace in the, in the community because God has brought peace in our lives. And so one link leads to the next, and this is a, a cyclical necklace that we're putting on. Why? Because we're not there yet. We don't have the total peace that we will one day have. We are imperfect. We are still sinful beings. So the Beatitudes tell us who we are, but they also tell us who we are becoming. And so when meekness gives way to pride in our lives, or when hunger for righteousness turns to a, a lack of appetite for the Word of God and you feel like you're in a spiritual valley, or when mercifulness turns to bitterness in a relationship, when willing one thing turns into idols in our lives because of sin, repeat the cycle. God has put us on a path. Life is a, a journey. And on that path, we will fail because we still sin. We still have pride inside us. So when Christ returns, we will understand true bankruptcy because we will stand before a holy God and we will understand the sins that we had committed against him. We will understand true meekness when we stand before that God. We will understand true righteousness. His righteousness will cover us and we will be perfect in our righteousness. We will understand a pure heart because no longer will we fall to idols, but we will worship God around his throne with, with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. We will understand true peace when Christ comes and sets up his kingdom and establishes new heaven and new earth. But until that time, we need to, we need to remind ourselves of this cycle every day in our life. Jesus says this is the person who is blessed. This is the person who is happy. This is the enviable person. This is the person who is flourishing in their life no matter what comes, no matter what the difficulties in life are. We don't preach the prosperity gospel here, but this person is spiritually prospering in their life. This is the person that Jesus makes us into. Now, all of that is very countercultural for us. Uh, the world believes none of that. But if we could put, our, put ourselves in the, in the shoes of the disciples when they're uh, on that hill looking over uh, the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is preaching to them, I, I think they're probably feeling pretty good so far about what Jesus has said to them. This is pretty awesome teaching by someone who heals the sick, someone who comforts the afflicted, someone who casts out demons. 
But now, Jesus comes to the eighth beatitude. And in Matthew chapter 5, let me read for us verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who persecute, are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is, in, is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wait a minute. Why would the meek be persecuted? Why would the merciful be reviled? How do you get from peacemaking to persecution? From reconciliation to hostility? How does that work? Well, in, in this beatitude, Jesus is going to state three things. He's going to tell us the reality of persecution. He's going to give us the correct response to that persecution. And then he's going to give us three reasons we can react well to persecution. That seems to be the main point here and what we want to take away today. It's really the, the punchline of what Jesus is, is telling us here. He's going to give us three reasons how we can rejoice in persecution. So we're going to spend some time looking at the reality of persecution, the response, and then uh, thirdly, we're going to look at those three reasons, how we, how we can respond well in persecution. And that's what we really want to take away today. When persecu persecution comes, how do we do it? So let's begin with the reality of persecution. And the reality of persecution is very simple. Josh mentioned it in, in um, our time of singing together, and it's really... Very simple. True believers will face persecution. True believers will face persecution. Beatitude number eight, and some say there are, there are nine beatitudes because there's another blessed. I, I kind of hold to eight because there are eight promises. The, the promise in verses nine or verse 10, 11, and 12 are, are really that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's one promise. So in this beatitude, Jesus is talking about how a beatitude person will be received in this world. And I'm sure the disciples were thinking, certainly this person is going to be loved, right? Wrong. Verse 10, he simply says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sake, for theirs and only theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. I'm wondering if the disciples' collective mouth dropped open at this point. Peter leaning over to, to John, and did we hear that right? You know, what did he just say? Did he just say persecuted? What about the religious or the Jewish doctrine of, of wealth and prosperity? You know, in the Old Testament, if you were righteous, you were rich. You gained some prosperity because uh, I believe because the ultimate reward was far away, God brought a reward close. And now in the New Testament, the ultimate reward is close. And so there's no longer, there's no longer wealth 
for righteousness, but they're thinking, you know, this is, this is different. And so Jesus repeats it. He says, let me say this again to you in verses 11 and 12. And he says, let me, let me make this more personal. And he shifts from they to, to you. And he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus knows this is hard. This is a, this is a new teaching for them. They were expecting a Messiah who would who would conquer Rome. They were expecting a Messiah to bring in the kingdom. And now he's saying, you are going to be persecuted. You're going to be reviled. What is that? Revile is simply an, an insult to your face. You really believe that? Can you really be so stupid to believe that gospel? You will be reviled to insulted to your face. You'll be persecuted. Literally, it means uh, aggressively chased hunted down, you will be canceled. And they will utter, in verse, verse 11, and they will utter evil against you falsely on my account, all kinds of evil. They will not only revile you, insult you to your face, they will lie about you behind your back. They will revile you to your face, lie to you behind your back, and they will hunt you down to cancel you. Paul, who was a persecutor of, of Christians, certainly understood um, that this is a reality for believers. He writes in 2 Second, uh, Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 11, Verse 24, he writes this, 23b, countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Paul understood that persecution is a reality. He writes to his young son, uh, in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 10, he says, You, however, speaking to Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, said just like everything else, as though it is normal, as happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet... From them all the Lord rescued me. And then he says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Why do Christians suffer persecution? Why can we expect persecution? Well, because there are two diametrically opposed, irreconcilable worldviews that are going to clash. And that clash is going to bring persecution. 
we have a completely different set of values than the world has. It is irreconcilable. He says you are going to uh, be persecuted for righteousness sake. You are going to be persecuted on my account because of Christ. Those are saying basically the same thing. And remember when we were uh, in the book of Philippians, in Philippians um, chapter, chapter 1, verse 29, Paul writes, Paul writes this, For it, is, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe the grace to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Suffering for Christ. Suffering because, comes because of love for Christ. Remember the words to his apostles before, uh, before he was uh, to go to the cross and to ascend to heaven. In, in uh, John chapter 15, in verse 18, he says this. In verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you, love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world that I said, remember the word that I said you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Righteousness for Jesus' sake. You will suffer if you are faithful to Christ because your value system is going to clash with the value system of the world. John Piper writes about this, writes about this clash, and, and he writes this as if you cherish chastity, your life will be an attack on people's love for free sex. If you embrace temperance, which is a moderation, your life will be a statement against those who love alcohol. If you pursue self-control, your life will indict excess eating. If you live simply and happily, you will show the, the folly of luxury. If you walk humbly with your God, you will expose the evil of pride. If you are punctual and thorough in your dealings, you will lay open the inferiority of laziness and negligence. If you speak with compassion, you will throw callousness into sharp relief. If you are earnest, you will make the flippant look flippant instead of clever. If you are spiritually minded, you will expose the worldly mindedness of those around you. I would add to that. If you preach that there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. If you preach marriage is between a man and a woman. If you preach abortion is murder, if you preach God made man male and female, if you preach homosexuality is an abomination and I won't bake that cake for the wedding, you will be persecuted. There's a court case in the system um, that I just found, about, found out about the other day from Lori actually, that if this case is lost, the logical conclusion is that it will become illegal to carry a Bible in a public school. 
There will be persecution. It happens by degrees. Persecution takes many forms, from harassment to death. Not everyone's going to be a martyr. The question is, are we willing to be a martyr if God should call us to that? Blessed are those who are willing to suffer persecution. If you've not suffered persecution, you may be a young believer and, um, or you may be an older believer. You've not suffered persecution. Are you willing to suffer persecution? Because persecution happens around the world. But the absence of persecution is a cause for alarm. Because true, righteous Christianity will produce hostility. If not then that person may not be a believer, or they're so far from the life of the Beatitudes that they're spiritually defeated and need to repeat the cycle, need to remind themselves that they are spiritually bankrupt, need to mourn over their sins, need to bow meekly before God. Someone has said the church is the persecuted church or it's not the church at all. Like Jesus we will be persecuted, perhaps even killed. Some because we're different from the world and the world hates us. Some because Satan hated Jesus. And if he tried to kill Jesus, he'll try to do the same for us. This is a persecution for righteousness' sake. Because you are a follower of Jesus and have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. If we live the Beatitudes, we will face persecution. In the last century, we're told that there have been more martyrs than in the rest of history. It's estimated 45 million martyrs in the last 100 years. Most likely, we'll experience something less than that, maybe something in the middle, maybe harassment. When we were um, missionaries, we had an opportunity to visit Romania several times, and we were part of a, a group that two times a year we would go to Romania, and, and we would in, infiltrate that country with Bibles and, and hymnals and other Christian books, and those two weekends, thousands of Bibles would, would go into Romania at, at, at a time. I can't tell you how we did that. If I did, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> no. When we were studying Russian, we, the more we learned, our, our Russian teacher in, in English would tell us, you know too much, I must kill you. <laughs> <laughs> but we went to Romania on this weekend, and, and uh, we came to this home where we were to deliver these Bibles. And, and it was nighttime, and we were driving a big van and maybe three to 5,000 Bibles in, in this one van. And there were multiple vans throughout Romania. But the gate to the yard was too small to get the van in. So we opened our door and they opened the gates of the, the yard. And we started taking in all these Bibles. And Lori was in the, in the van and I was carrying the books with someone else carrying the books. And, and as I came out, I, I saw her just kind of step back and look down the sidewalk. And there were two Romanian soldiers coming down the sidewalk. And they walked right between our van and the gate. Uh, they were drunk, and so they just walked right by us. 
And we walked into the home, and we came into the kitchen. It was the only room in the house with a light, and there was one light bulb hanging from a wire. And they said, you know, we'd offer you something to eat, but we don't have anything to eat. And they opened their cabinets, and there was one jar of homemade jelly, the only thing they had in their house. They were believers, and as believers, you were not allowed education after high school. So you got the menial jobs with the poor pay. They lived under persecution, and we came into their house, and we brought them food as well as the Bibles. And they saw the food, and they thanked us for the food. But the wife saw the Bibles, and she grabbed the Bible, and she held it to her chest, and she said, praise God for his word. Why did I tell you that? Because that is the right reaction to persecution. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is in heaven, not on earth. The response to persecution, believers, true believers, rejoice. We see that in, in Acts chapter 5. You remember the story of the, the um, disciples were arrested and, and they, were, um, they were told not to preach the word. And they said, the disciples said, we, can't, we must obey God, we can't obey you. And Gamaliel comes in and said, uh, be careful of these guys because there have been guys not of, not of God and, and in two weeks they'll be unheard of. But if they are of God, we need to be careful. And he, he talked them out of, of imprisoning them. Uh, but when they were released, they beat them and they were warned and, and not to preach the gospel anymore. And in chapter 5, verse 41 of the book of Acts, we read, these words, verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They left rejoicing that they were counted worthy. And Jesus says, it's not going to be easy, but rejoice. John Stott, in his writings, describes it this way, we're not to retaliate like an unbeliever, nor to sulk like a child, nor to lick our wounds in self-pity like a dog, nor just grin and bear it like a stoic, still less to pretend we enjoy it like a masochist. So what do we do? Rejoice and be glad. Luke writes a parallel passage of, of the Beatitudes in Luke chapter 6, and he has an even more uh, descriptive um, explanation or, or instructions on what we are to do. In Luke chapter 6, verse 22, he writes this, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of God, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Don't just rejoice, leap for joy. You know, I got to think this must be the most difficult or at least one of the most difficult commands in the Bible. It is a command to feel something to feel rejoicing, not to do something. It's like, uh, you know, don't be anxious. 
we don't know what to do because something happens and there's that feeling of anxiousness again and of anxiety. But he says, don't, don't do that. Emotional commands are, are probably the most difficult. It would be much easier, you know, don't steal, don't, don't kill, don't lie. Those are things we can do or not do. Those are much easier. But rejoice and be glad. Leap for joy when you're persecuted. What does that even look like? It looks like a lady in Romania clutching a Bible to her chest, giving thanks to God. It looks like a Romanian pastor who's beaten for preaching in prison, and when he was returned to his cell, if you've seen the movie, he said, now, where did I leave off before I was so rudely interrupted? One prisoner later wrote, it was a deal. We preached, and they beat. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating. So everybody was happy. That is rejoicing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, executed in the Flossenburg concentration camp just a few days before it was liberated by the Allied armies, wrote this. Suffering, then, is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. Following Christ means suffering because we have, we have to suffer. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. And it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. So how do we get there? How do we get to that point? And that brings us to the the main teaching that I think that Jesus has here in, in Matthew chapter 5, 10 through 12. He gives us three reasons rejoicing in persecution is possible. And I want us to take these away with us this morning. And the first one is this, that persecution is proof of the sovereign grace of God in your life. It is proof of the sovereign grace of God in your life. In verse 10, verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is the assurance of, of salvation, that the more you live Christ, the more evidence you belong to Christ. And that should give us power to rejoice because you know that God has sovereignly worked his grace in your life and that your persecution will not be wasted. Remember Stephen, he was the first martyr uh, in the New Testament, stoned to death. What happened at that point? Stephen was stoned to death and persecution breaks out. They were all scattered and we're told that they were scattered and wherever they went, they preached the gospel. That is the sovereign grace of God in life. Some of you are going to be persecuted for, by your family. That happens often in Muslim countries where they're disowned. Some of you are um, in that situation as well. You know, not only is persecution an assurance to you, but it is a witness to your family members. Why? 
Because if you capitulate, if you give in, if you deny Christ, you're saying it's, it's not worth it. But when you rejoice and they see your rejoicing, the joy of your salvation is the only hope they have of ever seeing a reward in heaven. Your persecution is evidence of your salvation. There's a second reason we should rejoice in persecution, and that's in verse 12. Because there is a great reward for the persecuted. And I think this is the key. This is the key to rejoicing in persecution. It's, it's treasuring the reward in heaven. And what is that treasure? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 says this, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle for, with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you, had, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You know that there is a better possession. You know that there is a reward in heaven. You know Christ is waiting for you in heaven and you will gather around his throne in worship. So rejoice and be glad. Persecution is the, the way of, of blessing. It's the path to heaven. It leads to all the other blessings Persecution leads to being called sons of God, being in the family of God. It leads to seeing God. It leads to understanding the full mercy of God when you see him and he invites you into the kingdom. You will finally understand pure, true righteousness because you're covered with the righteousness of Christ and you will see him and you will reign on heaven and on the new earth where righteousness dwells. That is why we rejoice in persecution. Remember Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. They were put in prison and at midnight, what did they do? They prayed, praised God, and were singing hymns. They were rejoicing. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, these words, chapter 6, verse 10. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Sorrowful, yet rejoicing. It's not pleasant, but there is a reward. And when we understand that reward, how can we not rejoice? When we treasure Christ and we know the reward, how can we not rejoice? There's a third reason. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. We are part of something greater. For so they persecuted the prophets 
who were before you. Moses was reviled over and over. Samuel was rejected. Elijah was despised. Nehemiah, we're told, was oppressed and defamed. Of the apostles, Stephen was first stoned to death in Jerusalem. James, the brother of John, beheaded for preaching in the temple. Matthias was tied to a cross and vultures chewed his flesh until he died. Nathaniel was skinned alive and then crucified. A double agony. Philip was hanged from the central beam in the great temple. Andrew was crucified in Egypt. Judas Thaddeus was shot through with arrows. Matthew was beheaded in Alexandria. Mark was dragged to death behind a chariot. James, a brother of Jesus, was murdered with a sword. Thomas was speared by a mob. Simon the Zealot was sawed in pieces alive. Paul, the great apostle, was dragged through Rome and then crucified on the Appian Way. Dr. Luke was crucified in the Roman Empire. And as you know, Peter himself watched his wife being crucified on Vatican Hill, all the while reminding her to remember Christ. Remember Christ. And then Peter himself was crucified with his head upside down because he didn't feel worthy of being crucified like Christ. John was taken to the island of Patmos. And as an old man, stuck in the salt mines, a slave of Rome, he just died. We're not alone. We are a part of something bigger. It's bigger than us. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us about others who were crucified, who were, who were martyred, who were persecuted. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, read these words. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, some that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Yet they, stone, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins and sh of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And in chapter 12, verse 1, we read these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the ultimate example of suffering and persecution. 
looking to the reward, he faced the cross with joy. We rejoice in persecution for Christ's sake. Out of love for Christ, out of gratitude for his grace, for suffering in our place, it is a privilege we have to suffer for Christ. So we rejoice when faced with persecution because we know we are kingdom citizens. We know there is a great reward. We know we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So let us run the race that's set before us with endurance, looking to Jesus, who's our hope in life and in death. Paul wrote in Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. To die is just more of Christ. Christ is our salvation, he is our hope, he is our reward in life or death. Do you know him? If you do, may the words of Jesus, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. May it both challenge us and may it encourage us in our faith to say with Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Always looking to the reward, always understanding that we're not alone. The Beatitudes, they introduce us to a counter-cultural kingdom. The ways of Christ seem upside down to the world. Two incompatible worldviews. John Stott describes it in this way. God exalts the humble and abases the proud, calls the first last and the last first, ascribes greatness to the servant, sends the rich away empty-handed, declares the meek to be his heirs. In brief, Jesus congratulates those whom the world most pities and calls the world's rejects blessed. Jim Elliott, one of five American missionaries martyred in South America in the 1950s, wrote in his journal just days before taking that fateful trip downriver to his death, wrote these words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pray with me.